Romans chapter 8, and David Jeremiah, I don't know if you know who he is, he's a white-haired preacher on TV, he said, this is the greatest chapter in the Bible. And so I thought, you know what, it's probably the greatest book in the Bible for me, the book of Romans, because it, it, because it lets you know all about grace and truth and how they work together and how they got separated in the garden, like grace and truth were separated, and they're really one thing. How do we know that? Because the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's, he is grace and he is truth. And, and you need to know the truth and the truth will make you free. But you can use truth like a hammer and beat somebody up. And, and then, then you've got grace that just, you know, you can, grace without truth is kind of like playing a football game without lines and, and rules. Is it out there running around doing what? Are you, what, what are you doing? So, so anyway. But, but with that in mind, I wanted to go to Romans. I know we're in Romans eight, but I want to go to Romans four and pick up where Pastor Paul left off in verse twenty. Yeah. Romans four twenty, and then we will get back to Romans eight, hopefully. But look at this. He staggered not. Remember, Paul said they, what we need is a bunch of stagger knots. Talking about Abraham, Abraham in verse 19, it says, he was not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was 100 years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not, we need to be stagger knots. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. Well, we know from reading his story for over 30 years that he wasn't strong in faith, but it's genomai, he became strong in faith. And then, and then in the next verse, he gives us a beautiful illustration of what faith is. Here's the definition of faith that you can get from the Bible. Being fully persuaded. That's it. Being fully persuaded that what God promised, he's also able or powerful, it's the word dunamis, to perform it. So, so we believe that he, so it's like Hebrews eleven six. we believe that he exists, but we also believe that he's the rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And in verse 20, 22, it says, and therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. So righteousness didn't come because he earned it. Righteous, righteousness came because he believed it, because he was fully persuaded. So when you become fully persuaded that what God did at Calvary was enough for you, you're going to be a happy person. Yeah, you're happy. So it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now look, it wasn't written for his sake alone that it was imputed unto him, but for us. For us. So you became righteous when you used your faith to believe it, not when you acted right, but when you believed it. When you become fully persuaded... Look at this. When you become fully persuaded, let's look at what happens here. But for us also whom is imputed, if we believe on him, that here's it, if we believe on him that raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered, look at, who was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. We understand what justified means, just as if I'd never sinned, just as if I'd never missed the mark. So then when you get into Romans chapter 5, we see the therefore, and we understand what it's there for. Like it's a continuation of thought. Those chapters should not have been divided there. So it says here, so now that we're fully persuaded, now that we are justified by faith, we have peace. So the first thing that ought to happen when you're justified by faith is it ought to bring you peace. 
So if you have no peace, it's because you don't believe yet. It's because you're not fully persuaded yet. Because when you're fully persuaded, you have peace. It's kind of like when you think of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22. It starts with love, but it produces joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and faithfulness, meekness, temperance against such. There is a sense against such there is what? No law. No law. It's kind of like when you read John chapter 3. For God so loved that he gave. Love gives. And if you don't know love, you don't give. You hang on. Why? Because you don't trust him. But then not only that, he said he gave his only. Like the woman with the two mites. There was lots of people that were blowing trumpets and putting in large amounts of money. But the woman that gave it all is still talked about to this day. Matter of fact, when you go to Israel, you can buy mites on every street corner. <laughs> Why? Because the woman, he honored her. He honored her giving. So, so justified by faith. We have right standing with our right standing, justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And also it says we have access. Access is a ticket. A ticket will take you into something. And if you don't have the ticket, you don't get in. So he's saying the ticket that you have to enter into the grace is, is faith by whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Oh, my. We were singing about the glory today. Rejoicing in the hope of the glory. Hallelujah. Rejoicing. So what is my position right now? Rejoicing in the glory of God. Amen. And then in verse 3, he says something else. In verse 3, he talks about Romans 8.28. He really does. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. What are you talking about? <laughs> Why? Because you know, you know that, you know James chapter 1. You know, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, and trials, knowing that the trial of your faith is producing, pa producing patience. And when patience is complete, you'll be complete. You'll be entire. You'll lack nothing. nothing. Lacking nothing. So, so that's why he would say, we glory in tribulation knowing that this tribulation works out patience. And the word patience there is hupomon, and it means something that you, that, you, that you endure because, or that you carry because you know that your breakthrough is coming. Amen. So, so when you know God's love, you can glory in tribulation, knowing that the tribulation is working, working for you. Working for you. Patience is working for me right now. The things that I'm dealing with right now are working for me. Yes. They're my employees. Yes. Trouble is my employee, right? Because the trouble is like yesterday I turned in my, my soup cans and, and got some real dumbbells, right? And uh, you might think I'm a dumbbell for doing it. But, but, I, but the point is, I'm, what am I doing? I'm, I'm working things out. And I... He, if you only knew what working out did for you, you'd all want to join the gym, I'll tell you right now. Yeah. So then it says, but we glory in tribulation, knowing that this tribulation works out patience, and patience works experience. Experience. Well, this is, this is talking about a veteran. This is talking about somebody that has used faith in the past and knows that it works. Now, I know that sometimes... You know, your next trial will mock your miracle. 
I understand that sometimes we have to stir it up again, but <laughs> but look at verse five and hope. Patience works experience and experience hope, and that's L piece, that's Bible hope. And hope does not disappoint. Hope does not make you ashamed. Hallelujah. In other words, hope won't let you down. It's interesting, too, that faith, hope, and love, these three abide. He said in Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. But these are the three things that are eternal. Your faith, your hope, and your love. And faith and hope use, Faith and hope are really used to get you to the love of God shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Use your faith, use your hope to, to get wrapped up in his love. Why? Because fear has torment, but love casts out fear. The whole world right now, look at the world right now. They're afraid. If you haven't been vaccinated, vaccinated, they're afraid of you. If you have been vaccinated, they're afraid of you. <laughs> no, but I've never seen anything like it. It's really something to see. Anyway, verse 5, he said, Because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. So Galatians 5, 6 says, faith and hope work by... When you think about Galatians 5, 6, it says, it says that faith works by love. And I've heard this taught that if you don't love people, your faith won't work. But that's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying here is if you don't know that you're loved, your faith won't work. How do I know that? Well... Galatians 5.22, you know, the, the, the love and the joy and the peace. Faith works by knowing that you're loved because the love of God is shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which, which is already given unto us. And again, this is, this is the only place that the Holy Ghost is mentioned until you get to Romans chapter 8, and then the Holy Ghost is mentioned 19 times because he wants you to learn that you're going to live by the Spirit of God and not by your five senses. Living by your five senses will always keep you carnal, always yeah. keep you. Yeah. yeah. For when we look at this in verse six, for when we were yet without strength. In other words, when we were our weakest day, my weakest day, I was three months behind in my rent and hung over. He ended up in the drug dependency center. I was without strength. In due time, my worst day, he died for me. Oh, he died for you on your worst day. Surely he likes you okay now. <laughs> but look at this. For scarcely a righteous man will die, yet preadventure for a good man some would even dare die. Well, soldiers have gone to war and died, and so they've certainly died for people. But, but when he talks about this, he's saying, this is dying for people that hate you. But God commanded, verse 8, but God commanded his, commanded his love toward us while we were yet sinners. Your worst day. Your, think about your... No, don't do that. No, I remember my, my worst day clearly. I remember. I had torn the Bible up. Somebody gave me a Bible and I tore it up. And I was so hungover. And I sat there with a needle and thread and some electric tape and put the Bible back together. Because I thought, if there is a God, I don't need him upset with me too. <laughs> and yet he died for me on that. He died for me. God commended his love to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
Much more than. Yeah, but see, here's what we think. We think less now. He loves you more now, but now we're thinking less now. Like, like he died for me when I was drunken on drugs. But if I came in here today and I was drunken on drugs, you'd, 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 you'd dump on me. Because you say it's much less now. No, that wouldn't change. So we can't either. You understand that? You, if, if God loved them when they were sinners, he loves them now when they're missing the mark, when they're messing up. And so we're not to judge anybody. We're really not. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of like, you know, we, we, we judge people by the color of their house, the color of their skin. And yet a horse is a horse, of course, of course. We're all horses. No, but we're all horses that don't matter what color you are. You're a horse. You'll always be a horse. You're not ever going to be anything else but a horse. Right? Is that right? And if you need blood to save your life, you don't care what color my horse is. No, but all this stuff can be cleared up in realizing that we're just us. It's not us and them. It's us. Justice. It's us. It's not them that are saved and them that are not. No, it's us. We're all part of the human race, and there's those that are saved and those that are going to get saved and those that may never get saved, but it doesn't change the fact that we're just us. And when we start dealing with one another with that in mind, if somebody comes in here drunk, I don't love them. I, you know, my natural mind would, would, would be like much less now. I loved him when he was a sinner, but now that he's screwed up, throw him away. No, much more. You're loving people much more now, not much less now. Much more being justified. How? By your actions? How? Justified by his blood. What he did was more than enough. What he did, plus or minus nothing, is, is what's required, right? That's John 6, 29. My job is to believe in him that was sent to me. Amen. Much more than being justified by his blood, we shall be saved. Come on, does it, your Bible say saved from the wrath? So I can't, if somebody comes in here and they're all messed up right now, I can't say, well, you know. It, it, no, the, the natural thing is, the natural thing is to judge the person because of their actions instead of judging the person based on his action. And saying, no, no, them that, them that are weak among you, what's, what's my job? To restore that person. To go over and put an arm around them and say, hey, you know what? I love you just the same as I did yesterday. Much more being justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath from, through him. For if you, when you were enemies, you were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his, by his life. Glory to God. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received atonement. Atonement, you know, it, it means to exchange. You know, he became sin and I became his righteousness. There was an exchange made, a covenant exchange. You, you know, and so... And so I, I got something from him. I got a new nature from him. 
How do I know that? Verse 12, it says, whereby for by one sin, one man sin. Look, by one man sin entered the world. So I, I, I'm not a... I, I, I don't, I'm not a sinner because I sin. I sin because it's my nature. Until I'm born again, I'm a sinner. Why does a scorpion sting? Because he's a scorpion. That's what they do. And why do people sin? Because they were born in sin. So they, they inherited, you know, I couldn't help being born in Halifax. It's where my mom and dad had me in the hospital over there. I would have rather been born in Hawaii. No, no, if I had a choice, right? But I didn't have any choice in the matter, and I didn't have any choice in being born in sin either. Now, now, now things change after that, but still, the, the, I inherited the sin nature. Well, it says here, one man entered in the world with death by sin. Death, death was passed on to all men. It's in your, in your Adam DNA. Verse 13, for, for until the law... Look at this, though. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed because there was no law. So, so that makes you look at things and say, okay, Adam and Eve, why were they put out of the garden? Was it punitive? Was it, what is a punishment? No, it was protection. It was protection because if they had stayed in there, if they had stayed in there, they would live forever in a fallen state, right? So then you have to ask yourself, well, before the law came, if, if sin was not imputed on the, onto them, how did, how did they die? And um, I want to look at, um, and, and here, verse 13, it says, the law was in the world, but sin was not imputed onto them because there was no law. That means sin was not recorded. It's kind of like Cain and Abel. You read the story about Cain and and there was, he, he, there was no death sentence, so he couldn't be killed, right? Verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. But wait now, if, if the sin nature is inherited and, and it wasn't imputed, let's go to Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. I had this discussion with Nancy yesterday. <laughs> We have fun. She does love me. <laughs> you know, you might not know it, but she does. Uh, Hebrews 2.14 says this, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also took part in this same thing, that, th that through death he might destroy him that had the power over death, that is, the devil. Until the law was given, the devil had power over people, over death. And so the sin wasn't imputed on them. So, so you, you read it and you, you read about Sodom and Gomorrah and some of those things and you think, well, God did that and it's recorded in the Bible like that. But it wasn't. It's, it's like in Romans chapter 6. It, he said, if you yield your members to the devil, then, then the devil will get into your life. Like God doesn't want the devil into your life, but if you yield to him, you know, you start to gossip and you start to judge and do those kind of things, and then all of a sudden bad stuff starts happening. It's not God. It was because I opened up a door for the devil to get in, that's all. So, so it wasn't imputed on them, but it came on them because they gave the devil access to their lives. That's why if you watch, they, got, they died younger and younger and younger and younger and younger. It took the devil a long time to talk them into dying early. 
right? Okay, you good with that? Yeah. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of those to come, but not as the offense, so is the free gift. So, so what he's saying here is, if sin entered through Adam, then righteousness had entered through Christ. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him the last Adam. But not as the offense, so is the free gift. For if through the offense many people died, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, has abounded unto many. And not as, and he said, not as by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was one of, to condemnation, but the, come on, but the free gift is to justification. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, there's that word again, much more. They, they that receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. And he's talking here about, you know, when, when he says the wages of sin is death, he's talking about sickness, he's talking about poverty, he's talking about lack. It's not just dead physically, it's anything that's not producing life is death to you. But the power of grace, the power of grace says, if you receive the gift of grace, the, 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 abundance, the abundance rather of grace and the gift of righteousness, you'll reign in life by one Christ Jesus. That takes me to Titus. Chapter 2. Because there's a big truth over here in Titus that you can't miss. You can't miss this. Are you there? Are you having a good time so far? I am. My pumpkin face actually went down a little bit, if you notice. No, but last week it was like, last week it was, it was like shaving the pumpkin. It felt really weird. <laughs> Steroids. Anybody's ever done them? Anyway, Titus chapter two, verse eleven. For the grace of God, which brings which brings salvation, saved by His grace and through faith. It's not of yourself; it's a gift from God. Right? To bring us salvation has appeared unto all men. Now, what do, what does it do? Teaching us. So, grace is a teacher, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present world. So grace, grace is also my teacher. How Teach me how to live right. It's kind of like when you read Paul, you know, I think it's in Second Corinthians chapter 10, he said, he, he besought the Lord three times, take this thorn away from me. Well, let me just straighten this out for you. It was a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him. God didn't do this. And when you read through his life, you'll find out that, that that messenger buffeted him until he finally did what God called him to do, to go to the Gentiles. Up until that point, everywhere he went, he went into the, preached in the synagogues first, even though that was not his primary mission, and it was the Jews that beat him up. But anyway, God said to him, God said to him, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. That was his answer. You can overcome this by the grace. It wasn't like you just have to suffer being buffeted by a messenger from Satan for the rest of your life. That wasn't it at all. No, no, his grace, his grace is sufficient for you too. 
So remember that. Okay, you got that? Hallelujah. We were going to get to Romans. Okay, um, 17 says to receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, still in chapter 5. Therefore, by one man's offense, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, that the righteousness of one would come upon all men for the unto justification of life. For by one man's disobedience, we were all made sinners. So by the obedience of one, shall many be made righteous. So, you, you know, you got to get a hold of this. Verse 20 says, moreover, the law entered. The, the law entered for one reason only. Matter of fact, it was a bit player. It says, it, it gives you the idea that the law came as a bit player to let you know that you can't do it. The law was there to teach you, you can't do this. If you keep all 613 commandments and miss one, you failed at all of it. So when are you going to stop? Ask yourself, when am I going to stop trying to be what I already am? Yeah. When am I just going to receive the free gift of righteousness and begin to reign in life by one Christ Jesus? When am I going to start to reign in life? When am I going to do that? When am I going to go back to Genesis chapter 1? We know in Hebrews 2.10, the captain of our salvation came to restore many back to glory. Where's that found? Hey, Paul, Paul talked about it on Thursday night, Hebrews 1. Chapter 26, or chapter 126, 27, 28, you know, he called you to have dominion. He created you to have dominion. When, it, when, when he blessed them, he, he blessed them by saying, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. And so he said, I came to restore many back to glory. What is that? Have dominion. Have dominion. That means dominate your environment. That means, that means, be fruitful, multiply, and replenish. Replenish is kind of like, you know, our fridge is kind of getting empty right now for meat because I get all my meat over in Joey's freezer. So, so over this next few days, I'm going to go to my freezer, which is in his shed, and replenish, replenish my fridge because it was plenished, but then I ate it all. <laughs> So, so it says, moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Like, yeah, I didn't know how bad I was until I read the law. I didn't know how bad it was until I read that. And then I realized, like, Christianity is impossible. Christianity is impossible unless you're led by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is what makes it happen for you. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, Grace did much more. Everybody say much more. There's that word again. Much more. Not much less. Much more. Remember that when somebody comes in and sits beside you that you haven't seen in a long time, you know, our usual response is, well, where have you been? <laughs> Make them feel like crap as soon as they get here. <laughs> well, did you have trouble? Oh, really? You know, were you in sin somewhere? <laughs> Come on, I've been around church long enough to know how it works, and it's not good. It's not good most of the time. Well, showing up here again. Thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad it's not like that here, though. But where sin abounded, grace did much more. That the sin, that sin hath reigned, it was habitual unto death. 
was habitual sin. Even so might the grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Christ Jesus our Lord. Hallelujah. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. Amen. Now we can go to Romans 8. Oh, it's all good. Verse 11, of course, but if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwells in you. Well, that has a twofold meaning. That's what's going to happen at the rapture of the church. But that's what he does right now, too. He quicken your mortal body, your mortal, your death doomed body. He'll quicken it. Hallelujah. If Christ be in you, verse 10 said, then you're dead, your body's dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. I need to go all the way back to verse 7 because the carnal mind is hostile to the things of God. Well, my carnal mind goes just, the carnal mind, it's, you know, think about chili con carne. It means chili, it means meat. So, so don't be a meathead. Don't be a meathead. What does a meathead? A meathead is... A carnal Christian is somebody that's totally motivated and moved by his senses, her senses. So our emotions change and we change. Our emotions are up, we're up. But, you know, when you realize that what you think about is how you feel, then you can, then you can, then you can gauge where you're at. If I'm feeling sad or bad, I need to, what am I thinking about? Stop and think about what you're thinking about. Really. Stop and think about what you're thinking about. And and then make a decision according to 2 Corinthians 10.4. You know, the, your weapons aren't natural. They're not carnal, but mighty through God. Not carnal, but mighty through God to pulling down strongholds and casting down imaginations. Anything that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing your thought life into captivity to obey the word. Because God gave you an imagination but so that you would imagine everything good, so that you could imagine yourself being successful, so that you could imagine yourself being a winner in life. And that's why he said, that's what he said Joshua in Joshua 1 verse 8. He's saying, hey, you need to start using your imagination. You need to meditate, utter and mutter and speak my word day and night that you can make your way prosperous, that you can see yourself successful, so that you can see yourself winning in life. Hallelujah. God wants you to be a winner. How do I know that? Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. I'm steadfast and unmovable, abounding in the work of the Lord because I know my labor's not in vain in the Lord. What I'm doing is working for me. Amen. So he said, that's why the carnal mind is hostile to the things of God. But I remember, you know, reading about Jonah getting swallowed by a whale. And I, I, I believe that, that, you know, Jonah could have, could have swallowed the whale. What, what I'm saying is nothing is impossible with God. When you understand who he is, I mean, the creator of the universe, he can do anything he wants to. He can put a three-bedroom apartment inside a whale if he wants to. But the carnal mind is arguing against God, hostile at enmity with God, for it's not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So then, so then he tells you in verse 8, so then when you're in the flesh, you can't please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man doesn't have a spirit, he's none of his. Okay, we understand that. Verse 12, therefore, brethren, we're debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. 
Notice it doesn't say in the flesh, it says after the flesh. I can't live in the flesh because I'm born again, spirit-filled believer, but I can still live after the flesh if I choose to. For if you live after the flesh, you'll, you'll die. But if you through the spirit, notice if you through the spirit, this is not some decision that you're going to make, a New Year's resolution that you're going to declare, or you're going to de declare war on your flesh. That's not what he's saying here. He's saying you, these things through the spirit mortify the deeds of the body. You shall live. Like, don't get, like, it's so easy to slip back into religion and start trying. <laughs> I'm going to try harder. No, don't try at all. Receive it, receive it. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Well, I, I, I understand that. As many as are the sons of God, they are led by the Spirit of God. I could say it that way too. It, you know, I got some close friendship happening here with God. I've gotten to know him, and I've gotten so that I, I totally do not depend on my flesh at all. I can't, I live an exchanged life because I can't live a changed life. There, there was a movement that went through the church here years ago called the power to change, and I knew it wasn't true because it put the onus on me to change things. No, it's an exchanged life. It's not a changed life. They had some good things, but... Good things are not necessarily right things. So, so he, it says, I kill my flesh, really, in verse 13. Verse 14, I'm led by his spirit. But I love verse 15. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Bondage, trying to work out the law, trying to get the deal going. See, but I found out that the kingdom advances by fulfilling his purpose, not supplying my needs. And when I neglect kingdom business, I keep, I, I keep trying to supply my own lack. But if I know kingdom business, if I know kingdom business, so Gary so loved that he gave. What do I give? I give my own. You know, if your giving doesn't move you, I got an idea it's not moving God either. What do you think? <laughs> what do you think, really? If your giving doesn't move you, if your giving doesn't, giving doesn't make you sweat. <laughs> no, no, I, I have sweated through some. No, no, you do it enthusiastically, and then you get home later on in the day and say, Dear God, did I really, did I really do that? <laughs> and then you pray, Oh, Lord. And then you get the results. I know you get the results. Thank you for that. Yep. No, 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 I meant that. Shoot. Bondage again to fear. Bondage again to fear. When, this is how I know that I've stepped out of grace. Starting to get fearful. I gave that big check and now I'm fearful. And so I need to get back over in faith because, because faith is what produces. Amen. No, haven't you ever done it? Haven't you ever done it? Look, I remember the day we gave our car to Mile in the Fever. It wasn't, a, it wasn't one of our cars. It was our only car. And then for three weeks, I had nothing to drive, and Pastor Paul would come pick me up, take me for groceries, take me for this or that. And all that three weeks, you're about the stupidest preacher in Atlanta, Canada. <laughs> But the harvest that came from that is still coming. Amen. Years and years and years later. Hallelujah. That opened up so many doors. 
Yeah. But it was, I remember, and Nancy was standing beside me. Lord, I just want to do something big for you. I said, Nancy, I feel like the Lord wants us to give our car to Molly. It was a brand new Subaru. We had only had it a couple months, a few months. And so we went and sold it and sent him the money. But obviously, but here's the thing too. We know he didn't, he didn't need a car. He didn't need that. We needed to give that. And also, when a farmer plants seed, he plants his best seed in the best soil. And lots of times, you know, bless, you know, you give to the poor and all that. But if you can find some rich soil and throw some seed in it from time to time, you get a rich harvest from it, right? Yeah. So we as a church, we try to do all of those things. So. But I noticed this past week, given, you know, given to the Jews, come on, Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless those that bless you. Wow, hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, we give to people that can't help themselves, and we also give to people that are doing huge things for God. I say we, I mean us, the church here. So, yeah. Did we ever tell you what happened to us when we gave to Bill Winston? We were waiting for him to open up a ministry in Canada. We couldn't wait because we wanted to sow seed into his rich ministry, you know. And so the day came. Paul and I went in. We wrote the check, and you need two signatures. We signed that and sent it off. And that, was it that day, that same day? That same day, somebody came in here and gave him $10,000 and me $10,000. We did the Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairies. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, we got, we got, we got. But, the, but then, I, then I called their ministry and told them what happened. And the girl on the other end said, oh, oh really? I'm thinking, girl, you, you, you're not getting this. <laughs> anyway, I, we, Pastor Paul and I really enjoyed that day. Yeah. yeah. But we received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Papa, God, Abba, Father. He's my father. He's my father. He's my best friend. He's all of that. And he's still Lord of Lords. And I'm in awe of him. I'm not flippant with him. I'm in awe of him. I'm glad that he's my friend. I'm glad of all those things. But he's still my Lord. He's my Savior, and I love that. But he's still my Lord. He's my Lord. And so I don't get to do what Gary wants to do. I get to do what he says do. I trust in him with all of my heart, lean not on my own way of doing things, but all of my ways I acknowledge him and he directs my steps. I'm not wise in my own eyes. I reverence the Lord and depart from evil because it's health to my flesh and it's marrow to my bones and I honor him with my substance. With the first fruits of all of my increase, my barns will be filled with plenty. My presses will break out with new wine in Jesus' name. Amen. Abba, Father, the Spirit himself, bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God, joint heirs. Have you ever looked at joint heir and figured out what it meant? Oh, hallelujah. A joint heir is kind of like, it's, it's two parts. He's an heir and I'm an heir. The best way to describe it is what I just said. If in this ministry... One person cannot sign a check. It has to be 
two people have to sign the check in order to make it valid. And that's what a joint heir is. Two people have to sign the check. You have to sign the check and God has to sign the check. God's already signed the check, but until you sign the check, it doesn't work for you. It requires two signatures. It requires your heart as well as his heart. But if you understand that, if you understand that, that you have a part to play in this and that his part's already been done, you can get pretty excited about it. A joint heir with Jesus Christ. If so, we, if, so we, if so that we suffer with him, that we may be, look at that, glorified together. Verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory. What's going on out there in 2021, what they're talking about doing on October the 4th and all of this stuff, it's nothing. Not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 19, why? Because the earnest expectation of the creature or creation waits for a manifestation of the sons of God. The whole earth is waiting not for, you know, I, I know that the world is waiting for you know, the tribulation period to begin, but that's, that's not what my Bible says. My Bible says that all of creation is groaning, waiting, you know, the earthquakes are, and storms and all those things are getting worse and worse and worse because the earth is a living thing and it's straining under the weight of sin and waiting for a manifestation of what's been here for 2,000 years, waiting for a manifestation of the sons of God, waiting for you and I to show out waiting for you and I to show up. And so there's big things in your future, and it's not doom and gloom. You, you, you need to just be excited. And whenever things get discouraging, remember about what he did to make you right in his sight, to make you perfect in front of him. Hallelujah. God said he was the head of all principality and power in Colossians 2, verse 9. And then verse 10, it says, and you are complete in him who's the head of all principality and power. Whew. You're complete today. I know you're walking out your own salvation and you're walking in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. But, you know, he said he'd prepare a table before you. Not, not in heaven. We, that, we're glad about that. But he said, I'll prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Hallelujah. So a table's being prepared for you. Don't look, don't, look at the, don't look at the bad stuff. You know, when he says walk through the valley of the shadow of death, just walk through. Keep walking, man. Keep moving. Oh, yeah, this is not my, I'm just passing through here. I'm just walking through some tribulation here. But I'm hidden for a table that's prepared in the prison of my enemy. Pass me the healing, Lord. Thank you. Pass me, you know, I'm going to be sitting at that table and asking for stuff, Right. So let's, so let's see ourselves seated in heavenly places in Christ, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this world, but that which is to come. He placed all things under his feet, made him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, that the fullness of him would fill us all in all. To the intent that now into the principalities and powers might be made known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God, which he purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness, access with confidence by faith of him. 
And we bow our knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named, that you would grant unto us, sir, according to the riches of your glory, to be strengthened with might by your spirit in the inner man, that Christ dwells in our hearts by faith, that we're rooted and grounded in love and able to comprehend with all the saints, the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge, to be filled with the fullness of God, to be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto you that's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we can ask or think according to that power at work within us. We speak a release of that power to work within us right now. To you get glory through this church, through it all ages, world without end. Amen. Hallelujah. Strengthened with might in the inner man, in the pneuma man, the spirit man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 And above all, we put on love the bond of maturity. We let the peace of God rule in our hearts. We're called to one body and we're thankful. Hallelujah. We're thankful people today. We're thankful that we're called into one body. Hallelujah. One body is one body. The church is one body. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And we're and you're the head over this body. In Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.